Nightlife Science. Joining us for a look this week at Science Matters is the irrepressible Charlie Limeweaver. Charlie, good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, repressible Phil. <laughs> now tell me, black holes might be the source of dark energy causing the accelerated expansion of the universe. Hang on, is this, uh, is this you saying that we may now know what dark matter is? Well, that's, isn't that exciting? So yeah. what's really weird about this discovery is that, well, it's a, uh, it's a combination of two of the most enigmatic things, and that is the dark energy, what most of the universe is, and black holes. And, and it's, I would say it might have be, it's exciting because it might be right. We're not sure if it's right, but it seems to have passed some tests so far. And so here's the idea. Now, it, the idea is that black holes increase in math, mass simply because the universe is expanding. Right. Now, the reason that's weird is because, well, how do black holes increase in mass? Well, they can uh, they can pull in the matter around them and have they accrete it and coalesce the matter. They suck it in, right? Mm-hmm. Or they can collide with each other. Those are the only two ways we think that black hole masses can increase. So this new model says, no, 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 black holes can also increase in mass simply because the universe is expanding. Uh-huh. Okay. Now that's we that's the weirdness here. So you should say that's ridiculous. How could that possibly? Because if it's expanding, it should be coming less dense, not more. Well, if I mean, if you take a car and you increase the size of the universe, the car's mass will be the same, right? Yeah. It, the car's mass will not increase just because the universe is expanding. No. Well, apparently there are solutions to uh, Einstein's relativity that have to do with the interior of a black hole not having a singularity but having what's called negative pressure which is the stuff that just acts just like dark energy and therefore if the universe gets bigger the mass of the black hole gets bigger and that's how this thing fits together and mm-hmm. what they did to check this is to look at black holes that are really far away there that are creating like crazy and then black holes that are kind of quiet and see can you explain the mass of these black holes that are really old with a history of pulling in stuff? And the answer was no, they're, they're much more massive than can be explained. So therefore, oh, this theory must be correct. That is, they just get more massive because the universe has been getting bigger. And uh, that's the weirdness. I don't know how to, I don't know whether to support it or not, but they have a l- at least a little bit of observational background behind it. And they have some theory behind it because black holes with weird stuff in the center of them is something that people have been tossing out as solutions to general relativity for a long time. And uh, I, we, they have to be tested. And so yeah, yeah. It's one of the few possibilities for testing it. Interestingly, it, it connects two things that are so weird and wonderful that maybe it's crazy enough to be right. We don't know. We'll have to wait for more evidence. The more And interestingly, also, more evidence will be coming because the gravitational wave detectors, which we now have, look at collapsing or colliding black holes that are spinning in different directions, and how they send out gravitational waves uh, is, is closely related to testing these okay. new models for spinning black holes. <laughs> okay, all right. Now, let's go back to when the Earth uh, was just an ocean of lava. And what was there? Uh, there is a new model of the magma ocean, as they call it. 
Yeah, so you may know that uh, when things form, like a human being forms, the gestation period is very, very important. How a kind of human being comes out is largely determined by, I don't know, the first three months after fertilization. Well, planets seem to be like that as well. And we know that there was a giant moon-forming moon impact. A, a planet about the size of Mars smashed into the Earth. There was so much energy that it made covered the whole uh, Earth with a magma ocean. It was just like a bubbling well, lava, just like you see inside of volcanoes. But the whole Earth was that way. Right. And what this uh, there's a new model for this. And why this is important is because how this thing solidifies and crystallizes when it does that some elements leave the rock and go and form the new secondary atmosphere. And whether this atmosphere is oxidized or reduced, whether it has like uh, hydrogen gas or CO on the one side, hmm. or it has CO2 and water on the other, it really depends on how this thing crystallizes. And that's why this is a new model. And it's apparently it can explain the dryness of the moon and some of the more what are called oxidized features of the rocks on the surface of the earth. I do not know more than that, other than the fact that it looks like some progress and it looks like this model might be applicable to rocky earth-like planets everywhere in the universe and that's why we're kind of excited about it because mm -hmm. we're trying to understand the relationship between magma ocean and atmospheres and whether that atmosphere is conducive to the formation of life or not yeah okay now the idea is to ease global warming uh this sounds like a wacky one you can look you could launch a huge dust cloud from the moon yes why yes. would why would that help well, it would help. I mean, this idea has been proposed by others, but often they want to put sulfuric acid or something in the Earth's atmosphere to block the sun, right? Mm -hmm. And that's filled with all kinds of danger. But this is to take dust from the moon and spew it out into a region called L1. And L1 is the position where you can orbit a satellite and it'll stay pretty much there. It's between the, if you have the sun on one side and then the earth on the other, it's somewhere in between the earth. It's directly in line of the sun-earth line. There are satellites, for example, I think the Al Gore satellite is stationed at this L1 point and it looks at the full earth all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, now if you take dust from the moon and shoot it up uh, and so it lands in this L1 position. Yeah, but how are you going to do that, Charlie? Well, you take a dust gun. <laughs> there you are take, ways of you take a you take a dustpan and broom, and you. <laughs> no, there. Are, I'm not. I'm not an engineer, but there are ways. Uh, there are ways to electric. You, actually, they said if you had two square kilometers of photocells, you'd have enough energy to launch this dust from the moon to land in this L1 point, uh -huh. and. And the problem is that this L1 point is not, it's like a saddle point. It's not like a, a valley that's stable. It's a saddle point of gravitational potential. And so the, the the dust would drift away and also get blown away by the solar wind. And so you have to continually replenish it. But if you do this, you could reduce the uh, solar, uh, I guess, the, the heating of the earth by about 2%. And okay. The idea is that, hey, this is not, you're not going to pollute the Earth's atmosphere, but you are going to put it like a dust shield in front of the sun, and that reduces the sun's luminosity by 2% and reduce the heat. And maybe until, maybe keep us cool until we can figure out a better way to reduce the CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm, burn less coal. Uh, seems like a whole lot easier. And uh, oil. Uh, and gas. And gas, yes. Well, uh, well maybe it's not. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, there's a seventh asteroid has been discovered prior to colliding with the Earth. 
Yeah, you may have seen, if you have any English friends or Netherlands friends, I think about a week ago, there was a big ball went across the sky, a giant asteroid, and it came and hit the Earth. And this thing, interestingly, was only the seventh thing ever to be predicted to hit the Earth before it hit the Earth. Usually you see these things come in and then, oh, look at that, Lou, look at that. But uh, but now we're getting a little bit better, we astronomers, and so we can see things, oh, that's, that's going to hit the Earth. And this is the seventh time this has happened. It was a Hungarian guy who, who found this. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I wanted to make the point that we are not, uh, we're not asleep in the trenches. Uh, of, we astronomers are trying to predict, uh, trying to protect the Earth from the, the ravages of asteroids. And there's, I also wanted to mention there's a new technique involved, and that is there's, a, there's an institution called the B612, and they are looking, using really sophisticated computers, to look at old antique pictures of, of the sky, and they are able to get smudges, and then they look at another image of the same part of the sky and see a smudge in a different spot, and this computer connects these smudges together in a way that hasn't been done before, and so this is a, uh, I mean, the normal, let me back up. The normal way of looking at finding an asteroid is to take a picture of the sky and then wait 10 minutes, take another picture of the sky, wait 10 minutes, another picture, right? So that gives you a two, boom, boom, a, 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 a moving dot mm -hmm. in the sky. But if you don't have that, and often you don't, sometimes you have archival footage or just have one picture. And these guys have figured out how to t take these pictures and combine them together and then use them to find uh, these asteroids, and they've contributed like 104 new uh, asteroids in the last, I don't know, last couple of months or so. So anyway, we're, we're, we're figuring out new ways to use archival footage to find asteroids and potentially the ones that will hit the Earth. But, yeah. you know, but, but we still don't know that much. A lot of them are, I mean, if you say, hey, do we, what fraction of the asteroids above, let's say, 150 meters do we know about? And the answer seems to be only about 40%. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyway, uh, the odds are in our favour, Charlie. So keep those aluminum hats on. Eh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> now, the the idea of a contraceptive pill for men uh, is seen as a step in equality and fairness between the sexes, I'm sure, although who would ever believe the man when he said, yeah, don't worry, I'm on the pill. Um, however, it's also been a very difficult thing to actually develop one, but there has now been a step forward. Yeah, yeah. The the reason it's been difficult is because when you take a like a hormonal approach, it often reduces the libido of the man, and so it's kind of like uh, why bother? You don't need a you don't need a pill because he doesn't he's not ready to do it. Yep. Uh, and so this is a this is a contraceptive pill that looks like it doesn't do anything with doesn't change the libido, but it does prevent. It, it kind of like makes the sperm drunk. It, it really. The, the sperm are in a low bicarbonate region, mm -hmm. and then they get, when they get ejaculated, they're getting to a higher bicarbonate region. And that change in bicarbonate essentially activates this thing called, uh, let's see if I get this right, soluble acetylcyclase. Uh -huh. Just let's call it SAC. Anyway, there's something called SAC that's very important to make these uh, sperm able to swim. And essentially, it, is, it turns off their ability of sperm to swim, and then it makes the men infertile. The great thing about it is that it works only temporarily, and the next day, the, the sperm can swim again. Oh, okay. And, and so you can take this pill, about 30, I don't know, something like 
15 or 30 minutes before having sex and then it acts it, it just makes the sperm unable to swim and uh, okay. so that, that's newness and that's uh, they also think that it might be uh, you could i guess uh, the woman could take it and insert it in her vagina or something and then that would also oh act i see yes. same way hmm. but i but they are trying to work it for a pill for men and that's actually so far i should mention this is only a pill that worked has worked in mice and it might be quite a while before it works in men simply because mice sperm and hmm. uh, human sperm are somewhat different and maybe they have slightly different effects Who yes that's, that's right it's been quite difficult that's right because they are resilient uh buggers the, the swimming sperm all right. Uh, now, how about this theory? At night, you are pulled by the gravity of the Earth. Yes, okay. But also the sun. So, do you weigh more? Are you heavier at night? <laughs> why at night? Why at night, Charlie? Well, that, at night. I mean, at, at, let's you're sleeping at night. It's midnight. Yeah. And where's the Earth? The Earth is straight below you. And where's the sun? The sun is straight below you. So the sun's oh, gravity. Oh, I see. Double, so it doubles up. Pulled yeah. you in the same direction. Oh, got it. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so the question is, does that make you heavier? Now, this is a question I saw a new, <laughs> a new scientist, and I thought, hmm, this is an interesting question. Do I know the answer to this? Well, let, let's break this down a little bit. You, there is a, you know, the Earth spins, hmm. and we can weigh yourself at the the poles of the Earth, and uh, this, the spinning of the Earth makes the Earth flatter. And so the when you're at the pole of the Earth, you're about 20 kilometers closer to the center than you are when you're at the equator. Yeah, that's great. That's so, right. The Earth is fatter in the middle. We know that, yep. That's right. That's right. Well, it's a little, actually, it's a little bit pear-shaped, but it's yeah. kind of like fatter in the middle, but it also is... Anyway, uh, so if you weigh yourself at the poles, it turns out that you weigh a little bit more. And if you weigh yourself at the equator, you weigh a little bit less. It's like 0.4% or so difference. Uh, part of that difference is uh, you're closer to the Earth's center when you're being weighed at the poles, mm -hmm. but at the equator, you're also rotating around faster, and so you have some centrifugal force that makes you a little bit lighter. So that's also an effect, and so those two together makes it heavier at the poles and lighter at the equator. Now, but that's, so that's kind of related to this question of, wait a minute, at night, are you heavier? Yeah. Well, at night, the centrifugal force of the Earth going around you know, there's a centrifugal force associated with the Earth going around the sun, but also with the rotation of the Earth. And so at night, your centrifugal force is pointing away from the sun. So it's not obvious to me that you will weigh more because you have a centrifugal force associated with the spin of the Earth. But, ah, uh, you know, that I do not know the answer to this. This is why I thought it was an interesting question. What are your thoughts, Phil? Well, I, I yeah, no, I think I, well, I, it makes sense to me. You've got it. You've got you've got you know two gravities when during the day. Yeah, but I hadn't thought about the centrifugal force issue, which complicates matters. I agree. It does. It does. It does. So I don't know the answer, but I, I know, think but, so. It, weight loss clinics should always be one uh, <laughs> at night. That's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Weight weighing weigh-ins at night. Um, all right, Charlie. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.